$10 at the door, $18 for seniors, and $5 for youth. And for over 30 years, the West Marin Holiday Food and Gift Program has been helping create a real holiday season by providing gifts and food for children, families, and seniors who cannot afford them. This year, the program needs your support as agency funding has been cut. To contribute, just look for the Giving Trees Around Town or contact West Marin Community Services at 415-663-8361 or go to info at westmarincs.org. Applications are also available at West Marin Community Services. Take a tiny little musical break here, and I'm going to be back talking with Roddy Reed about his book, that I have read, Confronting Political Intimidation and Public Bullying, a Citizen's Handbook for the Trump Era and Beyond. Stay tuned with us right here on KWMR Point Reyes Station. is swimming upstream on KWMR. And joining me, Amanda, uh, this morning via telephone is Roddy Reed. Good morning, Roddy. You're live on KWMR. Good morning, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the phone. And thank you so much for reaching out to KWMR um, about this um, handbook that you've written. I want to do, by way of an introduction, let people know that Roddy Reed is a Professor Emeritus of UC San Diego, where he taught a wide range of classes on modern culture and societies of the U.S., France, and Japan. He is author of three books and numerous articles. He relocated from San Diego to the East Bay, and he hosts a personal blog, Unsafe Thoughts, at roddyreed.blogspot.com on education, bullying, and the fluidity of politics in dangerous times. He is currently a member of the San Francisco chapter of the new activist group Indivisible.org that has 5,800 chapters nationwide. Indivisible.org has been pressuring politicians to protect the legacy of the New Deal and Great Society, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and civil rights, and oppose efforts in Washington to dismantle social services, health care, and consumer, consumer protections. Good morning, Roddy, and thank you for joining me. I'm glad to be here. So I have to say that in diving into this book, which is not a huge read, in fact, you have um, a big section of this is citations and notes, so it's it's not it's not even a, a giant magnus to read. But it was it was kind of hard <laughs> hard to read. Oh dear! Not in a bad way, but just because it was. Um, I mean, it's important information. It's not sort of an uplifting thing, but it d- digs in and explains a lot and tells, you know, puts everything into a context for where we are now. 
you want to talk about the origin of of this book in terms of taking this on as a project? Well, right. I'm, I'm glad to. First of all, I think the book has you can you can cut, you can uh, navigate the book in two different ways. I think uh, it's written in a very accessible style. I'm I'm an academic, but the book is not academic in, in tone and in, in, in language. So uh, you can read through it without even referring to the notes. It's, it's a straight read. It's about a hundred pages, and it goes. Uh, at a good clip, but the uh, you know it's it's a it's a it's a challenging story, just like the challenging environment we're dealing with. And then you have the notes, which are at the back, and those are only for folks who want either uh, a, you know more fine uh, develop you know a, a deeper argument that they're interested in exploring, and they can find it there. And then they're also just simply references. And then finally, in the uh, electronic edition, you just click on the little footnote in the main body of the text takes you to the reference and then there you have actually links to articles and other things and you 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 know you touch it on your iPad and boom you're there. So that's just how the book is organized. It's sort of two different ways of reading it. Now, uh going back your questions about the origin of the book. Well, I've been working on uh questions of humiliation and what I call cultures of humiliation or or, or bullying. Uh, and particularly public cultures of, of uh, bullying and intimidation since about 2008. And that started at the heart, at the end of the Bush era and at the beginning of the Obama era after seven years of the war on terror and uh, economic booms and busts that hurt a lot of people and benefited the few. So I was writing at a, at a very difficult political moment. Uh, the initial essays I began just when... Uh, even when Obama wasn't on the horizon, so it looked looked pretty dark. And so I was just trying to work out for myself, but also for others, or connecting the dots, the lines between the dots. I think we are familiar, even back then. You know, bullying began to hit the sort of news, uh, the, the uh, um, newspapers and, uh, and 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 cable TV as a subject, a little bit in the workplace, but more particularly about K through 12. And it seemed to me that, you know, the bullying was much more widespread than just high school or elementary school. And it was infecting our, or spreading to all arenas of our public life, particularly the workplace, the media, which I think people talk about more these days, and obviously politics. So that's how I got going. Uh, in the book. You know, it's really interesting because in reading this book, it sort of, you wove in and explained to me a lot of the things that sort of have stood out to me as sort of isolated incidents in what I would call sort of this degradation of decorum in our culture. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And it's really this sort of like, I remember talking to my father years ago and he's like, oh, I can't stand watching these news programs. These people just are yelling at each other. Why are they yelling? Why can't they just talk to each other in a regular tone? And then this concept of this proliferation of reality television that just took away sort of that place you could go to, you know, a refuge of theater where people were acting and, and they were playing a role. I'm thinking of sort of like Leave it to Beaver and some of these shows where, you know, it's like these were actors playing a script, not okay. we have to watch these people's real lives unfold in front of us. And it's right. And it's just sort of horrible. And then this sort of concept that has really taken off with social media of just this 
how trolling and sort of, you know, this sort of cloak of anonymity that gives people this ability who would probably never say these things to your face. They'd be too afraid to just go in the privacy of the, you know, dim light of the screen and just be let the worst part of themselves come forward. Yeah, I think in the past, I mean, and it was also an era of just, you know, it was early cable TV, but even, and even before that, it was broadcast TV, you know, main, the main, the three main, uh, uh, you know, channels are, are um, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS. And we went there for two things. We went there for entertainment, uh, you know, uh, Leave it to Beaver, whatever it might be, or uh, Mission Impossible, uh, what have you. But we also went there for some kind of public space where it felt like a discussion uh, of some kind could take place. And, some, you know, po- politics is, is, is not a, uh, you know, uh, it's a rough-and-tumble arena. It's, it's, it's not about being even polite, but it is a, there was back then pretty much a, a set of conventions that, you know, kept, kept behavior and speech within bounds. So we went there looking for some kind of public exchanges of different, points of view and so on and so forth. And out of those conflicts, you know, disagree excuse me, disagreements, something like a truth or at least a clearer picture of people's political positions would emerge. Today it's not quite that. The conflict actually buries any, you know, information, you know, meaningful information, buries something called the truth and certainly buries any clarity uh, of a you know of a kind that 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 uh, that's reassuring. Meaning, okay, we know what we're dealing with. We know what the stakes and issues of these politicians are. We know what they want to bring uh, to the, to the office that they're aspiring to. Now it's all all murky, and a lot of that has to do with just as you suggested with the change in the media in the media world. We went from so-called old media, broadcast media, to cable that broke up. You know, the public into all sorts of self-enclosed, uh, you know, publics. Um, you didn't have to hear the other point. Of, you don't have to hear the other point of view. And then all of that was accelerated even more uh, in the last 10 years by social media. So it's created a, it's enabled bad behavior. And what my word for this whole shift um, uh, in, the, in, in public discourse is I call it a revolution in the limits of acceptable public speech and behavior. And that's taken place not only in the media, but other, other parts of, uh, of wider society. How is political bullying different than other kinds of bullying, Roddy Reed? Okay. So, uh, that's, that's, that's a good question, Amanda. I, they share many things, uh, the two kinds of bullying. Um, first of all, uh, What's the point of bullying? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's very much a, you know, a, a, it's a weapon, it's a form of attack. And it's, um, it's to throw the other party off, uh, a lot of it uh, has to do with preemption. It kind of comes out of the blue. Uh, Whoever is being targeted is not quite prepared. And, in fact, if you think of just the K-12, so much of the bad behavior that we call bullying among uh, elementary and high school kids it's between friends or rather former friends, you know, so there's this whole sense of betrayal that colors this whole, this, the, the violence of bullying. But bullying itself, it is preemptive. It comes out of the blue. It uh, catches people off guard. It uh, is meant to paralyze and humiliate the other party, put them on the defensive, 
And if this is done in public, which, of course, is often the case of, of, of political bullying, then, of course, they're witnesses, and they're even the media there to record uh, record what happened and particularly the reaction of the person. You know, the fact that they, they you can read it on their face, their body language, they may stutter, and so on and so forth. And what it creates, particularly in front of other witnesses, is an impression of weakness, okay? And in the political world, weakness, particularly in our current harsh climate, which I sort of call a gladiatorial, you know, theater of combat uh, and dominance, weakness denotes, um, you know, it, it can be fatal to political candidates. So it's really a, a, a way to throw the other party off and to box them in, and it forces them to respond in some manner or another. And if they don't respond, it looks weak, and if they do respond, well, it's the preemption, you know, the initial attack has already set the tone. It's already set the agenda. And in the case of, really, in the case of politics, it sets also the uh, the news cycle. Okay? But news, so there you have Yeah. Didn't their moms tell them <laughs> when they were little, or any of us, yeah. that, you know, a person that is a bully and a person that mm. treats others like that is hurting inside, and that person is, you know, a, a person who is strong and is confident would right. never do that to another person because, right. so how has this gotten to be so fully acceptable? Well, I, 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 I think it's, 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 let's just take one, one, one arena. Um, first of all, let's take the workplace. This is a, you know, yeah, you talk about that a lot, and I think it's really, really yeah, important. Yeah, I, I think there are just a whole bunch of components that go into this. But uh, on the one, so let me, let me just start here. First of all, and I'll get to the workplace in a second. In the old days, you had sort of everyday bullying, and in our minds, it was something that you know we could grow out of. Oh, you know, elementary school, high school, we'd have a bad incident, or there would be a clique that didn't like us, or sometimes we got caught between two cliques, and then they would pile on the people who didn't belong to either. In any case. It was something that was understood, okay, it happens at a particular moment in your life, and then it's over. You know, you go into the workplace, you go, you, 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 you become an adult, you, you develop other relationships outside of what might have been a toxic or uh, high school environment. Well, that, uh, you know, that's not so much the case. I mean, so that was the sense that we grow out of it. You know, it's a, it's a developmental issue. Well, today it's it's not at all clear that that's, that's even possible, I mean, I, meaning people uh, experience this kind of form of aggression, a bullying, um, in the workplace. Uh, we get it on TV. You know, when we're walking around with our uh, smartphone in our pocket, we, it buzzes, and there's a 140-character troll you know, trying to spread poison, and so it, it, it's so there. So it, it's it's become part of our adult life. All right, but what other what other thing that uh, Amanda that's happened is on the one hand we had political bullying. Okay, that was part of a you know during a political campaign an election cycle. So yeah, kind of everybody gets their dirty laundry aired. Yeah, you, you, you know that you see the attack ads yeah. and there they are. And but it would be over. Okay, and then we had our everyday bullying which, you know, is there, and, you know, it's no longer in high school. It's with us throughout our adult lives, but there it was, okay. Um, but now the two have come together, and they come, they've come together in part because um, the, the political, you know, political life is no longer restricted to an election campaign. It's every day. And I think the, the tipping point with that, you know, when did our culture shift? 
um, in, in terms of just the realm of politics. I think it happened around 9-11 and then the build-up to the war uh, uh, in Iraq and finally, the, you know, the war on terror. It became something that was every, every day. And it, it was, uh, so. Exa- for example, you know, we've been at war for 16 years, okay, since 2001. And that's, that's quite something. And very few people, you know, pundits or even, you know, friends and neighbors, few people talk about it as something that's clearly poisoned and shaped the public, you know, our public national life. And so it's lent an edge to much of what we do, and particularly to different forms of, uh, you know, I would call, you know, forms of aggression or bullying. It lends an edge to it. So what's happened, and I'll, I'll finish just on this, is that we had those, I don't know if you remember, Amanda, but we used to have these code orange alerts about possible terrorist attacks. Yes, you yes. Know, this happened during the Bush administration, so this is like 2001 to 2008. They were often very political in the sense that they were timed in and around of elections, like 2004. And these things were based on outdated intelligence and even so-called, you know, fake intelligence. But it was a way to mobilize people, to, to get them to fall in the line, and to, you know, and, and quash dissent or any kind of disagreement with, with the policies of the Bush administration. So you had... So you had well, it used to be a campaign thing, you know, uh, a kind of um, you know, harsh speech, um, uh, even some fear-mongering uh, through attack ads and things like that. And then it became a constant thing every day, meaning the Trump, administ- Trump administration, the Bush administration, began to govern as in the same way that they campaigned. And that's what we have every day now that's amplified by uh, social media. Every day we have a tweet. Every day we have a headline. Every day we have something that not that is very political, very manipulative, and 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 you know, and trades in fear and intimidation. And so our everyday bullying, which is something we were used to managing, is now totally, you know, folded in, you know, melded with political bullying. So that's why it's more intense right now it, mm. every day and the two are together and uh, both political and this more personal stuff I want to just uh, break yeah. in here and remind folks that if you're tuned in you're listening to KWMR this is Swimming Upstream I'm Amanda Eichstead and I'm in conversation with Roddy Reed about his book Confronting Political Intimidation and Public Bullying right. a citizen's handbook for the Trump era and beyond and I, I want to transition to talking about this, this workplace because yeah. really this um, concept of bringing the corporate culture and structure more into the political realm is what we're seeing now with like the art of the deal guy, you know, Mr. Trump and exactly. that whole that whole thing. But it's interesting that even in this book, which was just recently published, you reference Harvey Weinstein, who has since been fired from his own corporation. Right. And, you know, we're, we're looking at what happened in Alabama last night um, and, and the, the, the win of Doug Jones over Roy Moore and all of these sort of like horrible things that have cost numerous people their jobs in right. the last month or so. Right. And, you know, how does this corporate bullying has moved into into the political realm? But, you know. Is it time for Trump to just be gone because of the allegations that are against him? Okay, well, I mean, it, what's quite striking is that the allegations, of course, 
for people, people uh, familiar with the business world of New York City, the allegations around Trump have been around forever. You know, uh, the um, uh, Village Voice investigative journalist Wayne Barrett wrote a, a book uh, called um, this was reissued, and its current title is Trump, the Greatest Show on Earth. And it, it detailed not only his shady business dealings, but also much of his private life. And he, he's, you know, he's a bad boy celebrity and CEO sort of wrapped up into one. And he, so it's long known that uh, about his bad behavior, but that tape last fall, Amanda, people thought it was like a death, the death knell. You know, this, it would do it and do him in. It did not. And there's, and I think a lot of that has to do with, um, Different different things. A uh, Russian journalist, uh, Masha Gessen, said, "Well, you know, uh, one thing is to to reveal these things. Another thing is to ask people to actually act on that information and make choices. And the many people have already had to make choices to live or tolerate these kinds of men in their lives, and they're not quite free." in the same way that we, you know, we might want them to be, to just make a free choice and, and chuck, chuck this person overboard and what he stands for. So, uh, so anyway, that kind of bad behavior, it, the workplace really changed, and, and, and it, what happened, it starts in the 80s, okay, and very briefly, there's a lot of pressure from the financial sector for companies to perform. And, and come up with 20%, uh, you know, profits, which is insane. It's, it's just crazy. But that put all this pressure on the managers to do what we all know, and some of us may remember, you know, downsize, outsource uh, factories uh, to the south or overseas, um, move them to the south or overseas, um, uh, restructure the workplace, let people go, uh, cut wages, and so on and so forth. And that... At that very same time, and I'm getting back to Harvey Weinstein, at that very same time, the business press began to laud these managers for their, for not only for making these so-called hard choices, I'm not always sure how hard those choices were, but that's how they were portrayed, as, in, in, in admiring terms, as tough, tyrannical CEOs. So Business Week, for example, and Fortune magazine, every three, four years came up with lists of the ten America's ten toughest CEOs. And on those lists, you would find, uh, so guess who was on that list? Harvey and Bob Weinstein, but also Carl Icahn of TWA, uh, Andrew Grove of Intel, Steve Jobs. At that point, he was at Next Computing before he came back to Apple. And Donald Rumsfeld, who was CEO of Searle Pharmaceuticals. So these guys were lauded for not only their harsh managerial memories, but actions and style, but also for for their arbitrariness, for even so. So bad behavior became something that was seen as a positive managerial style. And so that, you know, that so when the workplace where most working adults spend their time, some, some of us work at home or whatever, self-employed, but these workplaces became much harsher environments than they ever were. And you have this kind of folk hero, CEO folk hero, and it's that workplace, that harsh workplace from which, Donald Trump comes, okay? So I don't think it's by chance that we have a CEO, uh, you know, a bully CEO president right now. And that, you know, if it's okay in the workplace, 
then maybe it's okay in the media. And if it's okay in the media, then maybe it's okay in politics. So you have these different parts of, the, of our, you know, uh, of our wider culture that are slowly legitimating the bad behavior and even praising it. And so it's not by chance, in my, in, in my view, mm. that today we end up with an environment that's extremely, extremely forbidding. So you call this a handbook, Roddy Reed. Yeah. How? And and we have we have a few minutes left. We don't have a ton of time. I mean, okay. we could probably talk for at least another hour about this topic. I mean, it is it's some thick material and so relevant right now at this very time. But so in this hand, how how is somebody going to use this? So when I think of a, a handbook, I think of it as sort of like a uh, giving me some instruction on what to do next and how and how to handle it. So what do you expect us to do as a, the public with this with this handbook? Okay, well it's a handbook for citizens and also and residents in the in Trump era, but also beyond. And very quickly, why beyond? Because it took 30 years for us to get here. You know, this does not happen overnight, this coarsening of public life. And even if the current politicians in power and the current Republican majorities were to disappear, much of that culture would remain. You know, this harsh environment won't disappear overnight. So what to do about it? That harsh environment takes a real emotional toll on people. It poisons our lives, you know, political life, and it even affects our relationships with coworkers and neighbors and so on. So it's a, it's a real challenge to change all that. So what to do? So part one of the goals of the book was just to say, hey, you guys, you know the dots, but let me connect them for you, and that will give you an idea of a pattern, how we got here, but also maybe how we can see ourselves through this. Because a, a little bit of clarity sometimes can relieve a, what some people feel as the terror of the current moment, you know, just waking. You know, we're all thrown in this reactive mode. Every day there's some new piece of provocation and, and, and intimidation. So uh, a little perspective can, can relieve that. But the other thing is we're in a sh- new political moment, in my opinion, and people who want to engage civically and, and, and become activists, uh, you know, either uh, in local politics or national politics, they have to deal with this climate. And it's like, and the thing is, I, in my opinion, I don't think any one election. I mean, it's crucial these elections. And yesterday was a, and it was a huge event, uh, the Alabama election. Uh, they're crucial. But the thing is, uh, you know, this is a longer haul. It's going to be beyond any one election cycle or any one political campaign. We're talking about, in my opinion, having to rebuild our public national life and having to rebuild our politics. So that's, that's a longer haul thing. That requires a kind of commitment that many people are already engaged in now, you know, in Indivisible, Sister District, right. uh, and all sorts of other groups, Black Lives Matter. But, the, but and people in those groups, while very focused on beating back the Trump agenda, they know this is a longer haul. And that longer haul requires a sustained amount of, you know, energy. And the whole point, in my opinion, of this whole, of this harsh political climate is to drive people away from politics, discourage them, and also, uh, you know, and to isolate them and to just wear us out. You know, who can sustain that kind of thing over long haul? So this kind of book, I think, is trying to say, look, here's the deal. This is the land of the land, the lay of the land, and here's here's a map through this minefield of intimidation and bullying. Here's what to expect, and this is the thing. So much of this intimidation and bullying relies on surprise. Okay, and catching us off guard. So if we can anticipate this 
this is, uh, and so I, I lay out in the book how this bullying works, you know, literally how it works. You know, this is how you get set up, uh, either personally or politically. This is how, this is how, these are the kind of traps that are laid for us. And then how to avoid them. And then the, but when it comes to just what to do, I think precisely getting involved with other people, stepping outside of our little corner where we're sitting there just receiving these, these, these tweets and, and, and on a daily basis and these bad headlines, working with other people and finding, uh, uh, you know, finding others through a form of, uh, of, uh, you know, of, uh, uh, engagement. That focuses a lot on anticipate, you know, it's, it's creating strategies, what I call strategies of anticipation. How, and also in this case, given the, given the media and the, and the fast cycle, you know, these things happen very fast. The fast news cycle, the, the, the social media, how quickly and how viral uh, things can go. We have to learn, not just political parties, but these groups, how to develop rapid responses. And one example is, for example, the NRA. Put out a terrible video accusing Jews of blacks of fomenting violence and threatening them with violence in turn. And the Black Lives Matter within 24 hours countered with a new video and put it out there on the net and it too went viral. So it's that kind of nimble, fast response form of politics, working with others, that's important. And I'll just close on saying it's not just nuts and bolts electoral politics we need. It's something else. It's something a little more close to a social movement with that kind of long-term commitment. And it's something that's, you know, uh, it's, it's a tall order. But I think this book will help people see why that's important and how to go about it. Well, Roddy Reed, thank you for writing this handbook for all of us and for taking the time out this morning to talk with us on KWMR. I want to um, give out your blog information and spell your name, which is R-O-D-D-E-Y-R-E-I-D, because there are a couple ways you could spell that wrong. So it's R-O-D-D-E-Y-R-E-I-D dot blogspot dot com. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us this morning. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you, Amanda. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I do want to take a moment here before it's time for Off Leash to let you know that KWMR is supported by our listener members and by the Inverness Park Market. Information at 415-663-1491 or online at InvernessParkMarket.com. And It's a Wonderful Life, the play that's on Sunday, has 